hearts by his word. Do you want your heart changed? Are you open to have your heart changed from glory to glory? I think it's a question he would ask of us. Are we willing and do we really want a life change? Do we want a heart change? Do we think things could be any better? Um, I need a couple of volunteers to hand these out if I could have a couple. Um, this, thank you very much. These are um, notes. I know we typically have a sermon notes page, but this gives a little bit um, a few help so you don't have to write down quite so much. And I want you to know that this sermon that we're going to um, hear today is a series of questions, a series of questions that um, I asked of the text and wrestled with the Lord with um, this week in preparing for today. And so um, you're invited to take notes. And we're continuing on in our series from Luke. And um, did it just go out again? We're having technical difficulties. So um, what I'm going to ask is somebody to, um, maybe Nate, could I ask you, uh, Nate Adama, to come up and sit over here and watch which slide I've got. And you keep the um, slide in the right place for us today. Could you be the slide advancer? Yeah. Sitting in this corner is not the dunce corner. This is not a punishment. This is um, a place, a place, um, a place of honor. So, um, all right. Does everybody have a notes page? Yeah. So I don't want to distract from the reading of the words. So we'll wait till those get handed out. We're going to be in um, Luke chapter 8. We're continuing our series, verse 26 to 39. So, Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. And so, Lord, would you bless the reading and preaching of your word. We ask this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. And I just want to call our attention that Pastor Dave taught us a few weeks ago that this is not the best translation. Um, It would be a man with demons, or a man who has demons would be a better translation, like the English Standard Version has that. So when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a man who had demons. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, 
because the many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon possessed or the man with demons had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home. And tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is God's word. And in some places they say, thanks be to God. And I say, thanks be to God that that is um, his word this morning. And I may need one microphone, but I don't need two. So rather than knock it over with... My gesturing, I'll just move it. All right, so here we are in a series from Luke where Jesus has demonstrated the authority of the kingdom, and then he has been teaching his disciples. Remember, he fasted all night and called the disciples. And then um, we're advancing to this slide. Okay, it's on up there. Oh, it's not back there? Okay. I'm just going to have to look at this and trust and not look at that. If there's a way to turn off the rear projector, that would be great. All right, so Jesus has been, um, he demonstrated his authority. Then he taught them. Remember, he fasted. He called the disciples. He was teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then now he begins to demonstrate again the authority that he has. And so last week we heard about the storm and his authority over nature, that he could tell that storm to be still. Well, this week, we're learning about his authority over the demonic realm, over the kingdom of darkness. This is the fifth exorcism in eight chapters. And so, some um, commentaries say, you know, there's two extremes that you can make error. You could spend too much time thinking about um, the kingdom of darkness, or you could completely ignore it. And either one would be an error. We need to have a balanced approach. And so I want to say, God's word is giving us a balanced approach. And um, he wants us to pay attention because the fifth time in eight chapters that we're taught about Jesus' authority over demons. And the word commentary, which is one that Calvin Seminary recommends that all of us seminarians as we're studying use, said that absolutely you could not argue 
that exorcism is a main theme in Jesus' ministry. Now, I already mentioned to you the better translation. Rather than saying demon-possessed, wherever you see that in the scripture, it's better to say uh, the person who had demons. That's a better translation. And so the goal today, the goal of the sermon, I believe the Lord would have us to carefully learn from Jesus and welcome his saving work of deliverance. Now, I could tell you many stories, and Pastor Dave and I have been going through Luke a section at a time, and we weren't quite sure which one of us it was going to land on to preach on this text. And so he had already thought ahead and had a story prepared um, about an exorcism that he was a part of and where the demon actually acknowledged and spoke its name as Legion. And that would be a perfectly fitting story for this text. But as I prayed and thought about it, I felt like the Lord was saying, bring it home, bring it close, make it real, be authentic. And so I want to tell you a little bit about my desire for help and my need for help and then how that led to a desire to help others. And so in this picture that you see, this was when our family was young um, and I was putting on my happy face. And so I don't know how many of you have gone through some times where maybe on the inside you're hurting and on the outside you're just trying to make the best of it. But this picture is definitely kind of encapsulate a time in my life where things were extremely hard, but on the outside maybe everybody thought probably things were okay. Um, We had two little children Dane and I were talking about this this morning. Was this the right story to share? And he said, you know, Gina, um, sometimes Jesus told him, don't go and say anything to anybody. And he said, but then in the scripture that you're preaching this morning, and he says, go and tell. And I said, well, actually, the reason that he did that, Jesus did that sometimes, was because he told the people to go. He told this man that was delivered to go and tell because there was no risk. They were in the Gentile region there was no risk that they were going to misunderstand Jesus' ministry as coming to uproot the Roman Empire. Whereas back in the Jewish setting, across in Galilee and in those regions, they were going to understand his power as maybe one to come and be a political power. And so sometimes Jesus says, go and tell. And I feel like the Lord is saying, go, just come and tell you guys a story today. A story about how that when I was hurting, when I had a young family, Dane was working about 60 hours a week. It was in the heyday of the tool and die trade, and so that was standard hours for working was about 60, 65 or so. Um, My parents were going through an incredible um, time of marital difficulty. My dad made a choice as a um, university professor that cost him his job, and it was um, very much at risk that it was going to, what he, his choice was going to be broadcast on television and the newspapers, and he had to get the attorneys involved to put a gag order on the university so that it wouldn't go public. Um, my grandmother, who I love dearly, my mom's mom, had cancer, and so was coming down from Big Rapids to Grand Rapids for treatments most every day. My mom was working full-time trying to keep things together. I had these two little children 
I struggled with anxiety. I struggled with depression. But the thing that was most bothersome was that I struggled with these voices that just kept telling me to end it all. These voices that I would hear in my head that would tell me just drive into a tree and just be done with it. It was not uncommon in my family history to hear that kind of language of threats of suicide, of thoughts of suicide, and of self-harm and violence towards oneself when you couldn't cope and when you couldn't handle things anymore. And so this was a time that I desperately needed help. I would be driving down the street and have to pull off the side because I'd start to have what they call a panic attack where things would start to go dark. I would think my heart was stopping and think I was going to die and I didn't want my children to die in an accident. I got to where I couldn't get out of bed because, number one, I was depressed. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was very isolating. I went to counseling. I had medicines. Things improved a little bit, but not, not tremendously, and certainly it wasn't gone. It was always there, always there, and every, every new stress, it just sounded like a better way, like maybe that was the way. And I was a Christian, and I prayed, and I had people praying for me. But then one night, over near Christian High, here in town, um, a woman and her husband that were part of our church, they invited some of us young couples over to their living room, and our pastor and his wife were there, and they talked about how the, a spirit of death could be invited into your life by saying, I'd be better off dead. I wish I was dead. You know, just words that you think you just say in conversation. And they talked about how that sometimes certain patterns follow family lines. And that night I thought, maybe this is my problem. Because I, I always knew, like, I really I don't want to die because I... I wanted to be a mom, and I love my husband, and, you know, what is wrong, you know, what is wrong with this picture? Like, I, I've got this life, but yet there's all this stuff, and I just, it, it just wasn't making sense until finally it started to make sense that night. And they said, you don't have to live this way. If you're being tormented by this spirit, you can leave here a different person. And I thought, sign me up. <laughs> I want to leave different. I do not want to live this way anymore. And so it sounded pretty vulnerable, and I wasn't going to be in control of this prayer time, but I thought, I don't care. I'm desperate. And so just like the man fell down face forward before the Lord, I just said, Jesus, help me. Help me. And these people prayed, and I prayed with them, and I tell you, I was a different person. Something left me that night. And I can I say that I've never had a discouraging day? Absolutely not. I mean, everybody has some down days, right? But I did not struggle with that tormenting thought of killing myself anymore. It was gone. It left me. Now, that may sound kind of unusual for some of you. Maybe you've never heard of this before. I hadn't heard of it. When I was growing up in the church, we read the Bible, but it didn't really like how to bring it home. Like, how did the Lord bring this home? Like, how was this real in my life? And this became real in my life, that actually there was a spiritual battle. And so from that desire for help and the Lord meeting me, 
then he's led me to want to help other people that maybe are being bothered and tormented by similar spiritual problems. And so what do we need to know about evil spirits? If this is a spiritual battle, if we were going into, you know, let's just say that two countries were going to have war. They would want to have intelligence about the other side, right? They want to know what they're up against. And so not to spend much time on this, but a little bit to be informed. What do we need to know about evil spirits? Well, we look to the catechism. Question and answer 127. What does the sixth petition mean? And I'm going to ask that we would all read this font in the white together out loud. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one means by ourselves we are too weak to hold our own even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, Never stop attacking us. That word is underlined, never. They never, never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, read with me. Uphold us and make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit so that we may not go down to defeat in this spiritual struggle but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. And so one thing we need to know is this battle, we need the strength of the Holy Spirit and that it continues on until there's a complete final victory. What else do we need to know about evil spirits? They're real. And I believe that scripture is trying to teach us that by repeating the story of exorcism over and over. You need to know that sometimes people sense that there's something else at work in them. And I believe that that would be why this um, demoniac, this man with demons, would come to Jesus. Because remember, the demons were trying to isolate him and send him out into the wilderness. But I think he knew that he needed help and that there was something else going on. We need to know that evil spirits can impact humans physically. And obviously, if you read this story, how were some of the ways that um, the demons were impacting this man physically? They threw him down. They seized him. They gave him strength, supernatural strength at times. You need to know that demons can speak through a human voice. And so... It was interesting, very interesting, to um, read through this and how that when, um, when the man saw Jesus, he cried out, What do you want with me? I beg you. And then, a little bit later, he describes his name as Legion because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus. So it changes from a singular to a plural, and so the, the voice that comes through, sometimes it's the human's voice, the person, and sometimes the voice of the demonic can speak through. That don't torture us was the demon speaking through that man. And that's when you're 
when you're praying with someone, when you're encountering someone that's struggling, sometimes you'll notice a switch in their voice and that maybe even switches from singular to plural. Listen. You need to know that demons try to isolate. They send him out into the wilderness. They try to push the people away from the very help and community that they need. Demons try to make people non-productive. His situation was episodic. At times, he became violent. At times, he had to be chained up. And so, you can't hold down a job when at times you've got these flare-ups going on in your life. And so, it makes people non-productive because it's, life is unpredictable. You need to know that sometimes evil spirits will tempt to self-harm. And we notice in this account, this in Mark, that the person was cutting, was hurting themselves. You need to know that evil spirits try to dehumanize and humiliate humans. They're jealous because we image God. They're jealous, and so they try to humiliate. And so the person was walking around with no clothes and living like an animal. You need to realize that evil spirits do have power. And so notice that the demoniac had all of a sudden the supernatural strength to break metal chains and shackles around his ankles, even while he was under guard, that there would be these incredible power surges that wasn't coming from his own physical, well, his physical body, but it was a supernatural empowering of his body. That power, when sent into the pigs, caused them to go into a frenzy. And I remember a time when there was an um, alternative. Instead of Halloween, the church had like a family thing, and this man thought it would be fun to do a petting zoo and brought a pig, and the pig got loose, and everybody was chasing the pig and trying to get the pig. And I mean, just one pig, like the power and energy of that of that pig and being chased around, and I just imagine what it was like for those herdsmen when all of a sudden that whole herd of pigs had this power surge, and instead of going all different ways, they were all headed over the cliff and drowned. That's the kind of power that can evil spirits can generate. Now, that power is not all powerful like God's power, but there is power. And um, Roger Greenway and Carl Bosma, a couple of professors and ministers in this area, long-standing ministers, both told us stories of the real power of the d- demonic in their mission fields and in the ways that they saw the demonic at work as they were trying to bring the gospel. And certainly, that's not just in another country, that, that evil spirits can have power here. The goal of the evil spirits is to steal, kill, and destroy. They were trying to kill that man, trying to destroy that herd, and certainly that's their mode of operation. Now the next bit of information is extra biblical, and so you're not going to see it in this text, but it's um, a well-known author, Francis McNutt. He's a um, Catholic priest who wrote the book Deliverance from Evil Spirits, a practical manual, He describes these different types of evil spirits, and I thought it might be helpful for you to know these types of spirits. Also, it kind of identifies how did they get into a person. You know, maybe we kind of wonder, how did those demons get into this man? 
And so some of the very common ways are practices through the occult. And certainly, this man was living in a pagan culture where there were many rituals and sacrifices going on. From our own sin can open the door for demonic activity, even in a Christian's life. They can't be possessed, but they certainly can oppress when a door is opened by sin. Trauma, if you're traumatized, that can certainly open a door for the enemy's work in our lives. And how many of us have been traumatized and how many in our neighborhood have been traumatized, right? And then sometimes through the family lines, there's something that just shows up from family member to family member, whether it's you know just a strong sexual perversion, whether it's addiction, whether it's abuse. Some of these things, when we look back in our genealogies, if you ever kind of map it out, you can see where the enemy's been at work. Now, is that sometimes just a matter of the flesh and nature and nurture? Absolutely it can be. But is it also possible that we might think about the demonic might be active there? Why do we need a Savior? We cannot save ourselves in My husband says I'm um, known for stating the obvious, but I just need to say it. We can't save ourselves. This man could not save himself, and he didn't know that there was a better future even possible. The pagan gods and the activities of the culture of um, witchcraft and Wicca and Satanism and these kind of things, they cannot save. Religion and rituals like the Pharisees, had religion and rituals. They had good teachings, and they had lots and lots of rules, but they were still looking for the Messiah to come to save. They could not save themselves. We need a Savior, and as our catechism told us, it's a battle, it's an ongoing battle. We need a Savior every day until the victory is completely won. Well, hasn't Jesus won the victory on the cross? Yes, he has, and it's being worked out and lived out from our inner person, through our mind, our will, our emotions, and our actions. That's called sanctification, right? We're becoming more and more like Christ. What happens when we don't recognize that we're in a spiritual battle? What happens when we don't recognize that we're in a spiritual battle? Francis McNuck says, The extent that we are no longer realizing the reality of the supernatural power of the demonic against which we're powerless in our own unaided humanity, we no longer sense the need for a Savior, for Jesus Christ. There are many in the New Age movement that just believe that humans have untapped power, and if we could just tap into our human potential and be actualized, that everything would be better. We cannot save ourselves, and we don't even know that we need a Savior if we're becoming just kind of humanistic and rationalistic. Is this making sense to you? We need to understand the spiritual battle so that we understand why we needed a Savior because he came to destroy the works of the enemy. When we don't recognize that we're in a spiritual battle, we're not prepared for a military battle. This man described his name as legion. That was six thousand Roman soldiers. That would be a legion. Six thousand armed up, suited up soldiers. That was how he described 
the demonic influence in his life. If we don't understand that we're in a spiritual battle, it's like putting an infant out with the gladiators. We're ignorant. We don't even understand. What if I went out for my walk this morning and there were all kinds of SWAT teams in the, you know, in the sidewalk in the bushes and I didn't know that I was stepping into a battle? Well, church, that's kind of what's happened to us in this culture that doesn't necessarily believe in anything that they can't see anymore and can't be scientifically proven is that we've lost the fact that there is a spiritual battle going on. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need a Savior, Jesus Christ, to help us to be able to be prepared for the battle. If we don't recognize that we're in a spiritual battle, we misdiagnose. And it was kind of an understanding among the Jewish people at the time that anybody that lived among the tombs, they thought were mentally ill. Well, obviously this man... There may have been a component of mental illness, but this scripture is letting us know he was demonized. And when those demons were gone, he was sitting in his right mind. And so how many, I wonder, I'm a nurse, I did my psych rotation, and I wondered at the time if there was a spiritual problem in some of the people that I was working with. Now, does that mean always that if you've got depression that you're demonized? No. But is it possible that there's a demon that's tormenting a person? or that is hearing voices or seeing visions, that maybe there's something spiritual going on? And might that be a holistic approach and a biblical approach to take, is that we would think about this. But if we don't realize that, or don't really give credit for a spiritual battle, we're not even putting that on the radar, and we may misdiagnose. And what we're left to do is manage symptoms. And obviously that was not successful in this man's life. He was misdiagnosed. They didn't know what to do with him, and so they just tried to tie him up. And he would break loose. And can you imagine how humiliating that was and how frustrating and how terrifying that would be for him when he's feeling out of control and yet so fearful, and none of this is really meeting his deepest need. And his deepest need was Jesus. Acts 10.38 says, You yourselves know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Praise be to God that Jesus would know that he would go to meet. That, that text, if you look at the original language, Jesus had intended to go to meet. One of the commentators said it was like he had psychic powers. Excuse me. He is the king of kings, and he was anointed with the Holy Spirit with power. He had words of knowledge. He had an understanding of what the Father wanted to do. There were more people, not just the um, Jewish people, but there were the Gentile people that he wanted to pour out his love and compassion and go and bring a change in their life that they maybe never thought was possible. But Jesus loved him. He loved that man. And he went and he poured out his love by driving out the demonic that was just ruining the man's life. And so Jesus graciously exposed the spiritual battle and he saved. What do Jesus' actions teach us about deliverance from demons? First of all, that Jesus was very intentional. He said he only did what he saw the Father doing. 
And he was intentional. Can you imagine? He had just gone through this stormy night with the um, disciples. Probably they were all exhausted because they had been up scared all night. And finally he told the storm to be quiet. I could imagine that they probably, it would have been easier to just go back home. But no, he went over to encounter somebody who had a legion of demons. He was intentional. He was intentional about going opposite from Galilee over to this other region of the Gerasenes. Jesus sees need. He sees redemptive potential. That man was made in the image of God and he was living like a wild animal out among the tombs with no clothes. And Jesus sees him for what he can be and what God designed him to be and his life to be. Jesus responds to the smallest invitation. And if you read this, where the um, man cried out and fell at his feet, I believe that was all he could do. He just cried out and fell, put himself at the mercy of Jesus. Back in that time, people would not want to fall down in front of anybody that they didn't trust because the way that the conquering king would show who was in charge is they would put their foot on their head and break their neck. So you would not want to lay down and put yourself right in in foot's way of somebody you didn't trust. This man laid himself right out before Jesus. And I believe that just that small invitation, that small response to the goodness and the love that he must have seen in Jesus' eyes. And Jesus responded to that. Jesus was calm, and sometimes maybe you've had experiences or maybe you've heard of experiences where people are casting out demons and it gets wild and people are yelling and clapping and, you know, sounds kind of scary and terrifying. And um, I'm just saying that we can learn from Jesus that he had, he exuded a calm power because he knew his authority. His authority came from the kingdom of God, and so he didn't have to scream, he didn't shout, He exerts this calm power and restores the person's dignity. He redirects that man towards God's purposes in the kingdom. And he gives value. There's a purpose for your life. You get to go and tell others about me and about my goodness. Jesus spoke. Remember Pastor Dave talked about the power of our words and speaking. Jesus spoke and the demons obeyed. They knew his authority. They tried to argue with Jesus, but Jesus didn't back down because he knew who he represented was his Father in heaven. This has bothered me all week when I think about what are the results of rejecting Jesus. I felt really sad. I felt sad all week that the Pharisees rejected him, that the people over in this garrisoned village rejected Jesus. And what happens when you reject Jesus is you remain in bondage and you're spiritually lost. You're still lost. But Jesus will honor the request. He doesn't push himself. He'll honor the request. The status quo will be maintained. But how many of you know the status quo isn't that good? It wasn't that good but they, because they were doing, in the gear scenes, they were doing all these rituals And all these sacrifices, trying to get power, trying to get knowledge, trying to get um, money and finances. And you know what? What they needed was the kingdom of God to set everything right. But they just said, no, would you please leave? Because they were afraid. 
And then the Pharisees, on the other hand, that we've seen earlier, they rejected Jesus. And why did they reject Jesus? Because they were jealous. They were jealous for the power that Jesus was having, the influence on the people. And so they had gotten messed up too. And it just makes me sad. And I think, how many times do we quench the Holy Spirit and do we maybe push away that because we're afraid of it, we're not quite sure, we can't control it, or maybe we're just a little jealous or we think, well, I don't know where I fit into this picture, and so I'm just going to push this away. When Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, now in his church is busy and working, he wants us to welcome him, welcome his goodness. And so I don't know, but the question comes to me, Have you desired freedom? Is there something in your life, maybe, that just keeps nagging, that keeps you down, that keeps you tormented? Maybe it's an ongoing sadness, or maybe it's a sense of despair, like just a despairing spirit. Or maybe it's something like that you don't talk about to people. You just kind of avoid people, but you've got this lust thing going, or this sexual perversion, or you've got this addiction Or whatever it is, do you know that you can just come and lay yourself in front of Jesus and ask for help, ask for his deliverance, ask for his ministry? Do we do that? Do we do that? Or are we ashamed? I'm telling you, there is no shame in receiving the good grace of Jesus Christ. If I was ashamed, I wouldn't stand up here and say, Jesus delivered me from the spirit of death. I'm telling you, it's good news. It's changed my life. It's changed my marriage. It's changed my parenting. It's changed the trajectory of my life. Because there's good news for others. And how many of you maybe sit and struggle in silence or by yourself when really Jesus is here, Jesus wants to meet, And it's our choice. Are we going to respond to his good news and realize that we need a Savior every day? We need a deliverer every day. We're up against a spiritual battle every day in some way, shape, or form in our culture. We need him. We need him. Maybe you've desired to help other people and you've tried. And you've tried by way of teaching. Or you've tried by doing a Bible study, and a Bible study is good, and teaching is good. But notice which order Jesus did it. First, he delivered the man, and then the man was sitting at his feet as a disciple. Sometimes people just can't take in the information until after they've received the delivering work of their good Savior. How would Jesus have us respond? How would he have us respond to this story of Jesus delivering this man? Would he have us to just say, well, that was really nice to hear that history lesson today? I don't think so. I think he would have us to praise and worship him, to turn our hearts to the one and to exalt the one who is so good and so powerful. I think he'd have us turn to him for help. If we're struggling with something in our lives or if we know somebody that's struggling, that he would have us turn to him in prayer, maybe help that person turn to Jesus for his healing, saving deliverance. Maybe we need to repent. Maybe we've heard of deliverance ministry and mocked it. Or maybe we've said, I'll have none of that and I don't want to get involved and I don't want to know anything about that. 
Well, not everybody's called to be a prayer partner, to be active in this, but certainly everybody's called to be aware and to know where the resources are and to help direct people and certainly to pray blessings on people. Maybe the Lord would have us to just pray, Lord, would you open up my eyes to see the spiritual battle? And would you give me the gift of distinguishing of spirits so I can tell, is this something that's of the kingdom of darkness or is this part of the kingdom of light? Lord, would you, because it has to be that our eyes would be open to the spiritual battle, even in the same way that we read in Scripture, that he opened eyes and all of a sudden they could see these armed forces around, right? We need our eyes opened. I believe the Lord would invite us to grow as disciples, to grow as the ones that would sit at Jesus' feet and continue to learn from him, to be in the word daily. We need our minds refreshed by the renewing of the word of God, right? We need our minds renewed, washed by the word every day. And so these spiritual growth connection clusters, we handed out a sheet, and I think there should be one in your worship folder again, where you can make record every day. What are you reading? You know, God, how would you have me respond to this? Just jot down a few things. Share what you're learning with somebody. It's simple, but it's so profound how the Lord will wash over you, will help you to understand more and more the beauty and the depth of what we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus was laying out his mission as he modeled this demonstration of power. He was showing the disciples, this is my mission, and this is going to be your mission. You're going to go and proclaim the kingdom. You're going to pray for healing, and you're going to help people be delivered from evil spirits. He was laying out a mission. And the disciples, then the 12, and then the 72, and now the church today, is invited into his mission. Will you accept that mission? Are you willing to be trained up? Are you willing to be equipped in order for Jesus to be made known and for people who feel like there is no hope to find hope in Jesus? He invites us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and to pray for that power every day. Lord, would you fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill me with power? Would you fill me with power, not for my own benefit, but for the benefit of those around me, so that I would have the strength and the courage to press in towards somebody. That must have, I mean, can you imagine, can you picture this? There was that little cartoon at first of the naked man. I blurred out his privates, right? I just kind of blurred that out so that you wouldn't get fixated on anything you don't need to be fixated on. But think about it. There are people that are not very attractive, that are, you know, maybe even repulsive. But would the Lord have us press in? Would the Lord have us... Move closer to somebody in order to pray for the deliverance, to pray for their healing, to pray for them to come into the freedom that Christ died for so that he could set us free. We want to be a church that loves people. That's our, that's our vision is that we love people and that that love starts to change not only our hearts, but changes the neighborhood and changes the world. And it starts with being willing to be a conduit of his love and his grace. And so will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your word that will not return void. Lord, I thank you for your saving, delivering work 
And Lord, we acknowledge that we need a Savior. Lord, that we need a deliverer. We need your delivering work in our midst, in our lives, and in the lives of those that we love. And so, Lord, would you meet us? Would you set the times and the places where you want to come as deliverer and healer? And Lord, if we're to be a part of that, would you show us and would you invite us in and would you guide us and help us to be bold in you? For your glory we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Confidence that um, the man who had had demons that were delivered, I believe that he was so confident that Jesus would be forever his that he was easily redirected. Instead of following Jesus and going far away with Jesus, that actually he received that call to go and tell others the good news of what the Lord had done for him. And so, be blessed and receive this blessing from First Thessalonians. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. A couple of announcements just to um, praise the Lord for and be in prayer for. Our Gold Rush ministry started, um, and I were there 13 kids? Is that what I heard? 13 or 15? 13 or 15 middle schoolers for the very first meeting this past Tuesday night. And about 10 more that they have papers for and that will be coming along with whoever we don't know yet that the Lord's going to bring. So praise the Lord for that. Please be in prayer for this new team that's working with the um, middle schoolers on Tuesday nights. And if you know any middle schoolers, please get the word out. And then Thursday night, we're going to have a teaching on physical healing. Um, Jay Noblock is going to be lead us in in that teaching. And so if you know anybody that needs prayer for physical healing, um, we're going to teach on it, but we're also going to pray for people. And so you're welcome to um, come and um, invite anybody else that you want to bring along. And then um, beyond that, I just want to give you a tip on that daily connections. You hear the word on Sunday morning. If you spent the day sometime in the afternoon or evening just rereading the scripture, it's going to sink in deeper and you could get a head start on your week of keeping track. So anyway, the Lord bless you.